Let's do it. This is Buccaneers Total Access, Total Access with head coach Bruce Arians. Dropping back to throw Brady. Has all kinds of time. Throws a deep pass far sideline toward Godwin. It's caught. Touchdown Tampa Bay. Chris Godwin. Brought to you by Advent Health. With award-winning care and a network of convenient locations, Advent Health is here to help you feel whole. Learn more at yourcareyournetwork.com. Fire the cannons. Now your host, Bucks team reporter Casey Phillips and head coach Bruce Arians. Welcome into Buccaneers Total Access, brought to you by Advent Health. I am so excited to be joined by head coach Bruce Arians. And coach, again, congratulations on finishing the regular season. Uh, now with the most regular season wins in team history, despite all these injuries, despite dealing with COVID issues, what does that mean to you to know that this is a record that this franchise has not finished with and that doing it in a year like this one? Yeah, it's amazing. I, I give all the credit to the players. I mean, guys stepping in and it's not been an easy season, that's for sure, between the virus and injuries. And uh, But Jason Light and John Spitek and all the guys in the front office have done a great job of assembling hell of a roster and uh, guys have been able to we've been able to plug guys in and they've, they've answered the bell all year and we've got about a thousand different new records to talk about which is a, a pretty typical thing <laughs> yeah. with this team now which I love and I'm sure it's a thing you won't get tired of because it is a pretty good one so let's we'll start with Tom Brady of course now joins Drew Brees is the only players in NFL history with 5,000 passing yards in multiple seasons tell me that stat in particular among all the other records we've talked about with Brady what do you think that one means yeah that's amazing and uh, you know to continue to do with new faces each week and uh, I think we played seven or eight different receivers and uh, you know just Tom is Tom and um, he's an unbelievable competitor and uh, he's not slowing down that's for sure and to me it's always interesting to divide his records into the ones that exist because of how long he's played and then the ones that are showing the level he's playing at now this year this age so he just in this last game has now the most single season passing yards in franchise history broke his own career high for single season passing yards his own franchise single season touchdown record so all of those things that are about what he's doing this year why do you think it is this year for him uh, second year in system you know, and uh, last year with no preseason, no, no offseason this year, being able to go back and watch yourself and watch the guys and understand the concepts and uh, what he's seeing each week. And uh, once he figures you out, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Um, and then now someone else that I'm so excited we get to talk about some records with Mike Evans, now the only player in NFL history to start his career with eight 1,000 receiving yard seasons. So he'd already broken the NFL record last year. Now he's just piling on his own record. But what does that one in particular say about him and the success he's had to start his career? Yeah, different quarterbacks, different systems, and, uh, and great players show up in all of them. And um, like I said yesterday, Mike's, Mike's a great player, but his unselfishness and his leadership are, are the best I've seen. And in a receiver room, uh, that's the best I've ever seen. And he's a better person than he is a player. And how have you seen him impact other guys because of that? That, that how guys are in the locker room matters to. Yeah, to there's the team. no doubt. When you got when you got your top two receivers is Mike and Chris, and they never bitch about who's getting the ball. They just want to win. Uh, that's very very unique. And he also now is just the sixth player in NFL history to have eight straight thousand yard receiving seasons at any point in his career. And the names that are on that list are guys like Jerry Rice and Marvin Harrison, Torrey Holt. Um, he, you know, hearing the list like that, what does that bring to mind? And now adding Mike's name to that. Yeah, a gold jacket someday because I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, that's true. And is it cool for you to know? 
as a coach, like when you look at your career and even this team now, um, that you get to be a part of future gold jacket careers. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going to Canton for a bunch of years in a row. Yeah. We've got a lot of guys coming up, you know, Reggie Wayne this year, hopefully, and uh, hopefully Rondé and, you know, Heinz Ward one of these days and obviously Larry Fitzgerald and uh, Ben Roethlisberger and just keep keep going on and on. You but, might as well uh, move there. <laughs> I, uh, I plan on being a bunch in the summer, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, get, get a second home up in Canton. Um, so take us through Mike's uh, two touchdowns that he had in this game. Yeah, just again, great communication between he and Tom. And when he gets single coverage, uh, look out. Tom did a great job of picking up the blitz. And then Mike just beat the guy on the option route. Uh, the other one, he just ran by the guy and perfect ball. And he now has two, uh, the second most multi-touchdown games in the NFL since entering the league in 2014. Broke his own single season franchise touchdown record. So for him, we talked about all the yards records. For him to also be having all these records that are about him getting in the end zone and multiple times in a game and in a season, what is what is the reason for his success on both of those accounts and specifically the end zone? Well, he's a tough matchup down there for sure. And uh, you know, when any team that wants to stop the run, they're going to single cover him, and it's a hard cover uh, inside the red zone. So, um, for me, I'd make us run it in there, <laughs> you know. So we did that easily for one time, and I think that got a single coverage. So. Uh, yeah, and, and he and Tom are always on the same page. And Gronk, 137 yards. Uh, that's his most as a buck and his most overall since 2017. Another guy that at this point in his career to be, you know, setting highs that he hasn't gotten to in a little while is pretty incredible. What do you think has worked so well for him, especially lately? Yeah, I mean, he's just controlled the middle of the field and uh, getting big chunks, um, which was surprising that they let him go down the middle of the field yeah. that many times. You'd think and, they'd have heard of a guy named Gronk and, and tried yeah, to stop and, him. And they were, they were doing a lot of really exotic blitzing into cover two. Uh, we picked it up, and I think that's, that's what separated everything for Gronk, getting the blitzes picked up because he was just wide open down the middle. And now that Sunday's game of 100-plus yards puts him ahead of Tony Gonzalez for the all-time record of 100-plus yard games among tight ends, what does that stat say to you? Again, the longevity and... Uh, what what he does when he's on the field is very, very special. And uh, it looked like maybe Brady was also trying to make sure he got Gronk some, some certain incentives and, and had a mindset for that during the game. Yeah, I actually had Blaine all set up for that and uh, had coached it up to just get him that last catch. And uh, I started to go to Jason, can we just give it to him, give him his money and let him sit on the bench? Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, I never got to him. And then Tom's, I go see Tom go out there. I was like, wait a minute, Blaine's supposed to be in there. So he, he got Gronk his catch, and then we got them both out of the game. It was pretty cool. That's great. I love that. And, you know, the, the offense, as much as we finished with an amazing game and all these records, uh, definitely not the start I'm sure you wanted on the offensive side of things. Three plays and 94 seconds in the first quarter, not an ideal yeah, start. Not, yeah, it's not a way to start because you don't have the ball. You know, we've got to get off the field better defensively to start the ball game. The last, we've been deferring, and uh, teams are scoring points on us. We've got to get that stopped. So what do you think was the cause for, on the offensive side of things, a little bit of a slower start, but then definitely got to rolling later on? What did you notice as what, what seemed to click? Yeah, we had, a, we had a, a big play on the first play of the game, and we ended up getting a sack. And uh, we just didn't quite finish the block, and we didn't get a ball out of our hand quicker. Um, but, yeah, Carolina just controlled it. And um, if you don't convert third down and keep it, you're not going to get it back. 
And uh, I, I wanted to hear about Brashad Perriman's uh, toe-drag swag play that he had there on the sideline. Tell me, uh, tell me about watching that play and what went through your mind. I was afraid they were going to call it incomplete because I, I saw it and then you know, I couldn't challenge because it was inside two minutes. And then we had to hurry up. So it, it was, uh, I thought it was a great job by the first officials talking it out. A hell of a catch. And it was a game-changing play, that's for sure. Look at you complimenting the refs. Yeah, the first you know? time in a long time. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and how about, the, the, you know, that play helped set up Le'Veon Bell's touchdown. So tell us about just that drive overall and Le'Veon Bell's touchdown. Yeah, you know, last year going into the playoffs, we were very, very good at the end of the half scoring points and scored every every halftime in the playoffs. So it's good to get that mojo going. I get another 90-some yard drive. Uh, big play to Gronk, big play to Mike. Mike was the key play, getting it off the goal line down there, and then BP's big catch. And, uh, you know, we ran it, and uh, Tom did a great job of audibling to uh, that little pass in the flat. And uh, Le'Veon knew the audible, which is great, because he's been here about two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's a training camp audible. So uh, he's obviously on top of the game. That's great. And, and like you said, two different 90-plus drives that have been pretty important in these last two games. Is there something about the hurry up idea that seems to, to work well? Maybe need you know something you guys want to implement a little bit more of when it's not just necessary because of time. At the yeah, end? it's been a big part of the offense. You know, the last uh, November, December, and uh, we, with the young receivers and the not not enough continuity, we really didn't want to do it. But uh, we played our best in it, and the guys really um, stepped up in and uh, very few mental errors in that two-minute drive with all those young receivers. And we know you mentioned that Le'Veon Bell hasn't been here very long, but you're impressed with the fact that he's caught up on everything. We know a big part of why he's had to be in there was injuries, but um, what do you think his role could be moving forward in the playoffs, regardless of who's kind of in or out, even if you get guys back, is he still someone you can see using? Yeah, I mean, he's a good pass blocker, and he can he can catch the football. So, uh, you know, that that's a good combination for us in this offense. So we'll get Leonard back, and uh, I know about Rojo, and Keyshawn's really stepped up and played good, caught the ball great in this game. So... We're very, we've got enough depth at running back now. And how about Scotty Miller's touchdown and, and his play overall? Oh, the, he's a leading rusher. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, That's how you drew it up, right? Yes, that was, was the game plan? That was uh, the second time that play I've seen go for long distance, and both of them were really fast guys. And uh, Scotty did a great job on it, and super blocking on the edge. And, uh, you know, he got, he got a reception on the slant. And, um, again, we've got all the trust in the world, Scotty. Which is great. And uh, I know that... Cyril, another guy with some speed in there, went down with an injury. What do we know at this point about his injury? And I know it's just also got to be sad to see a guy who'd come on so strong yeah, go down. Yeah, it's a shame. And I don't think it's as severe as we thought. It's a hamstring. Don't know if it is availability for this week, but uh, we'll wait and see. And then uh, Keyshawn Vaughn uh, got his touchdown as well. And, you know, 10 carries, definitely more of a workload than he'd had the majority of his career so far. So what did you see from his performance? Yeah, I thought he ran the ball really well and caught it the best he's caught it. And uh, Aaron Stinney coming back uh, after his injury, and then even Robert Haynes getting in there towards the end. Then whenever you're you're up by a lot, you get to put some other guys in there. So, uh, what was it like to get to see a Aaron Stinney be back and be healthy, and then get a chance to get your rookie Robert Haynes in there? Yeah, it was good to get Stinney in there because he looked like he'd been out about five weeks, <laughs> and uh, knocked a lot of rust off of him. And Stinney, uh, and then uh, Haynes did a great job on that touchdown, getting downfield and making a play. And uh, you know, he's got a bright future. We're talking to head coach Bruce Arians. Uh, so you guys were able to lock up the two seed. Tell me how important that was to you guys and just what it was like to be playing for that among the time that everybody else was playing and, and watching all of that unfold. Yeah, I was, you know, we obviously took it off the scoreboard so the players wouldn't get high or low about it. And um, I knew what was going on. And 
you know, for us, we had to win this ball game. And uh, I was hoping to get that lead and keep it. And we gave up that touchdown, so that some of the guys had to play a little longer than I wanted them to. But uh, it was a great, great locker room scene. You know, nobody really started celebrating. We just all started watching television. And, uh, you know, I kind of hollered to everybody as we were watching television, good job, congratulations. And uh, about that time, the interception happened, and it was a real big cheer in our locker room. That's incredible. And, and how big is that to you guys to know that you get the number two seed? Yeah, because, you know, we're looking at two trips, one to L.A., one to Green Bay, which would have been really, really hard uh, just to travel itself. But now to get maybe all our games at home, you know, if everything goes right, we get lucky again. But uh, we got to win this week. It's, it's a one-game season from here on out, and uh, luckily we get to stay home if we win. Yeah, and, and how cool is that to think about a home playoff game? I mean, you technically had one with the Super Bowl, but that's a little bit different. <laughs> so to have a home playoff game, what is that like to know? Oh, it's great for the fans, gosh. And now hopefully hopefully we take care of business and they have two of them. Man, the crowd was awesome. You know, I didn't really expect to, to see that thing packed for the Carolina game, and it was all red. It was beautiful, and hopefully we don't see any green this week. Yeah, not allowed. No no green allowed whatsoever. Uh, all right, so now um, looking at the defensive side of things, you know, we talked about the struggles to get off the field earlier on in the game. At halftime, I think the time of possession was uh, a little over 21 minutes to about eight minutes. Um, what were the reasons for the defense kind of struggling to get off the field, especially early? Yeah, it was third down. That, that in the RPOs, um, we did a much better job in the second half of handling that and uh, and getting off the field. But the first half, um, the RPOs and then just just not making plays on third down. And I know that the third down defense, where and maybe in the rush defense overall, just everything that you've seen, you've got a lot of guys out. What were some of the positions or individuals that were missing time that you felt like you've seen the most? evidence of, of missing them and what that's meant it's mostly Levante you know just his speed and his his calmness and his leadership you know Kevin played pretty good uh, Devin is I think trying to do too much in Levante's absence and uh, but um, teams aren't trying to run the ball up the middle anymore it's all on the edge mm -hmm. and, and uh, we got we to do better sideline to sideline and handling those RPOs better and do you know much about in terms of when Levante might be able to be back and how confident we would be to have him in the playoffs? It's going to be really close. And um, if he if he can go, I'm very confident he'll play well. Yeah, and it could be just like Vita where you just have to make sure you keep on playing to give yes, more indeed. and more guys a chance to come back. Um, and then I know you were still also without Shaq and JPP again. Uh, what were some of the biggest ways that you felt like you have missed them in their time and what you've learned about what they bring to the team? Yeah, just the rotational pass rush. You know, Anthony Nelson's gotten two game balls two weeks in a row. He's really improved. Uh, Joe showed up a bunch. And uh, when you put Shaq and JPP back in there, that's a heck of a rotation. Plus the veteran leadership that they bring setting the edge on the run game. And Anthony Nelson, though, I mean, man, a guy that we had talked about per snap, he'd gotten in, what incredible stats he was putting up, and now he has gotten more of a look with those guys being out. Um, so first of all, tell us just about the, the sack that he was able to get and what worked well on that play for him. Yeah, good job on a, on a twist up and under. And uh, once Anthony gets his hands on the quarterbacks, they go down. And uh, that, that's been a problem sometimes this year. But uh, just, man, he's playing good in zone drops. And uh, just everywhere out there, he's, he's, um, he's really improved. one of the most improved guys we have on defense. What do you think is the reason for that? Or can you pinpoint when that started happening or what some of the tangible skill sets or things are that led to that improvement for him? Yeah, I, I saw it in training camp. 
you know, and uh, especially against the Titans. And he started using more power and using his length, and you could see him start to develop some pass rush moves. And just his overall understanding of the defense uh, in year three is really, really improved. And how about Joe Tryon Shrink, another guy that, uh, you know, was getting in there even when Shaq and JPP were playing, but has definitely gotten a lot more reps since then. Where have you seen that he's done well and, and that you'd still like to see him improve going in the playoffs? Yeah, he was, he, was, he was using more power in this game and can just continue to use that power with his speed. Uh, that's a lethal combination and, uh, you know, staying on his feet. But, um, no, he's been playing really, really well. The stats don't show how good he's playing. We talked about the availability of Levante coming back. How about for Shaq and JPP of how much we think that they will be available for playoffs? I think they're, they're totally ready. So, um, you know, Levante's probably, Leonard, Leonard will be back. So I think Levante's the only one that's going to be questionable. And outside, I know you said you thought Devin has maybe been trying to just do too much. Overall, kind of the what he's done well, what he hasn't in these in these last couple games, and, and specifically on Sunday, how that manifested in your mind of what it looked like to do too much for him. Yeah, I just just trying to to make plays that aren't there, just rushing the passer sometimes and uh, doing things that, uh, that he don't normally do. And uh, just overall, he can play better. We've seen him play better, and I know he will. And then Antoine Winfield Jr. got himself a sack, uh, fumble recovery. Tell me about those two plays, and then his game overall. Yeah, a really solid game. He a game ball type of game, you know. And uh, his production was huge. And uh, the only time, I think the only mistake, we, they ran a wide receiver screen and, and he came inside when he should have contained it. And that, that was about one of the only bad plays in the whole game for him. And the fumble recovery he got was forced by Nacho. So tell me about that play. Yeah, big and, Nacho, and again, just stripping the ball. And uh, one thing, when it's on the ground, Winfield usually gets it. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. If it's in the air, Mike. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, we got the air and ground covered. You yeah. got you got everything. Um, and how about the the defensive line overall? I mean, we we got to hear the news of extending Vita Vea's contract uh, going into the game. How did you think the D line looked? I thought the D line played really, really solid. Um, not outstanding, but really solid. Uh, I thought everybody, Nacho, Vita, uh, everybody played really, really solid. And tell me, as a coach, you know, when you get to hear that Vita's locked up for the for the long term here and bringing him back, A, you know, just what do you think the, the biggest reasons are that he is a guy that you want to make sure you guys keep around? And, and then just how exciting that is to know he's going to be here. He's just a hell of a football player and, and a good guy. I mean, he's, um, he's a very unique player with his size and strength and speed and uh, the whole combination. He's just very disruptive in there. And Andrew Adams getting an interception, another guy that kind of like Mike Edwards of per snap he plays, just feels like he always makes these crazy plays, and they always seem to come against the Panthers. I think that yeah. we just need to sign him to contracts to play against the Panthers. Uh, tell us about that interception and, and the role he's been able to play when he's come in. Yeah, again, really good pressure on the quarterback, forced a little bit of a high throw and uh, hit him right in the chest. And, uh, you know, that, we should add another one, but uh, – <laughs> That was a great play by him, and uh, I wouldn't like seeing him run all the way for a touchdown instead of slide, and he acted like the game was over. <laughs> You're like, come on, man, keep going. Um, and how about the the corners overall? I know that Carlton had a pretty big pass breakup at one point, and uh, what did you see from him and the rest of the guys out there? Yeah, Carlton, big, big, big game for him, and uh, he's he's rounded back into form. He takes the top guy each week you know, and covers him. And I thought Sean had a good game other than one play, and uh, it was a really great throw and a hell of a catch, but. Uh, he defended it five times and he got beat on it once. So, um, Jamel Dean, I'd like to see, you know, not get injured again. And uh, Pierre Desir stepped in and did a heck of a job. And I know that Jalen Darden, uh, back as the return guy, had his best return of his career so far, 34 yards. Uh, tell us about that return and what you saw from it. Yeah, him. good blocking. And he really he set it up nicely and hit it. And uh, 
was real close on a punt return, too. If we'd have just held that gunner off a little bit longer, I think he'd had a big punt return. But, uh, yeah, he looks like himself. He's, uh, you know, the COVID really got him pretty good and uh, two weeks of that, and he's bounced back. So uh, we've got to get him involved in the offense somehow. And I know that uh, Suckup ended up with a missed field goal from slipping, but overall, just outside of Darden, just one here. Special teams overall, what you saw from everybody. Yeah, I thought Ryan kicked really well. It's a shame he slipped because he was going to make that one easily and uh, still almost made it. But uh, I thought Br Bradley could kick off better. He's not usually, he's always a touchback in, in, in every time he kicks it. And, and uh, we, we covered, but we didn't cover as well as I thought we should have when we don't kick. I think we relax because we think he's going to kick a touchback every time. And all of a sudden, oh, I got to cover. And uh, we, we'll fix that. And then now looking ahead to Philadelphia, now that you know that is who you will be playing, thanks to the, the antics after the game that you got to watch, it feels like a repeat of last year where you're playing this familiar opponent in the playoffs. Um, so that seemed to work pretty well for you guys last year. What is the, uh, the pros and cons of it being a rematch to the regular season when it comes to the playoffs? Uh, it, it helps, you know, to have, a, have tape on what they do and uh, see how they're really, really playing well in December and January. So... Um, see how they've improved. Um, they rested a lot of guys last week, so uh, Jalen Hurts is playing extremely well. And they got tremendous weapons on the outside and, uh, and a big tight end. So and Fletcher Cox, he's he's a man child on the defensive line. So we got our hands full. And um, but it's good to know they're not totally. Um, we don't know everything about them, but we we do know a lot. Which is helpful. And so what are, what would you say are the biggest things that are going to be potentially different about the matchup this time versus last time? Well, hopefully we get out to that same lead and don't give it up this time. <laughs> and uh, offensively, in the second half of that game, we just didn't play very well and just kind of relaxed. And uh, they came storming back, but uh, then we ran on a six-minute drive. So, um, yeah, I, th I think for us, it's just a matter of, like we did this week, no penalties, no turnovers on offense. That's hard to beat. Take the ball away from them and uh, get off the field on third down. All right, well, there we go. We heard the game plan from the man himself. That has been Buccaneers Total Access brought to you by Advent Health with head coach Bruce Arians. We're going to be coming back on the second half with Coach Roger Kingdom. Coach, thanks so much for spending time with us. You bet. Thanks. All right, this is the Buccaneers Radio Network. Buccaneers Total Access brought to you by Advent Health. It's intercepted, picked off down the sideline, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown Tampa Bay. Touchdown Buccaneers Jamal Dean. Now more with head coach Bruce Arians and Bucks team reporter Casey Phillips. We are back here on Buccaneers Total Access brought to you by Advent Health. First half of the show, we had head coach Bruce Arians with us. And now I am so excited to be joined by speed and conditioning coach Roger Kingdom. Roger, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited about doing the show. Yeah, this is going to be great. I feel like you have such a unique role that uh, maybe not a lot of people know exists or a lot of teams even have. So I just I can't wait to hear about it. And of course, first, uh, we got to talk about your incredible background. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people don't know about it. So we'll, let's just go ahead and start. I know. You did go to the University of Pittsburgh, and it was originally on a football scholarship, right? Correct, correct. One of the reasons why I chose the University of Pittsburgh was because Coach Jackie Sherrill said that I would have no problem with running track and playing football at the same time, uh, whereas Tennessee, which I signed a conference letter of intent, which back in those days you could sign the conference, then the national. Mm -hmm. um, Coach Majors, Johnny Majors, who said that I could run track after my sophomore season. So uh, the difference was being able to just do both of the sports right away. That's why I chose Pitt. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, were you there while Dan Marino was there? Is that correct? Correct. I played two years with Danny Marino. And uh, the year Danny. that I registered to train for the Olympic Games was the year that he graduated. Wow, that's incredible. What do you remember about him in, in college? Did you have any concept of who he'd go on to be? 
Well, you know what, Danny was a fun guy. Danny had a down year because we had no receivers. Our receivers got injured. So when you have no one to throw to and you have a lot of younger guys out there trying to catch the ball, then you're going to have a lot of uh, drop balls and so forth. So um, that's why his numbers went down. Nothing else because of that. I had a lot of fun hanging out with Danny. To this day, we're still tight. Uh, he's a hell of a golfer, and you know we're all passionate about golfing. So <laughs> that keeps the... Uh, the rivalry going. Plus, I have a lot of bruised and jacked up joints on my fingers to show from my years with Danny. So <laughs> you can't incredible. forget about it. Yeah, he makes sure every morning those hands you remember your time with him. That's incredible. <laughs> so now tell us a little about your uh, track experience in college. You know, I was very, very blessed to um, have natural talent in track and field. I grew up with um, four brothers and one sister. We were all competing against each other, running, doing different things, growing up on a farm. So that made it easy for me to hone my strength and my speed back when I was a younger guy. And with my brother being a star football player and my sister being a star track and football, um, you know, I, it was a lot of pressure on me to excel being the, uh, the next oldest next to them. So for me, going to college to be able to uh, participate in track and field. My first year, I really, really uh, didn't know if I was gonna compete in track and field. I wanted to focus more of my attention on football. I only ran two competitions in track and field my freshman year, but uh, when football went the way that it did, with getting injured in my freshman year, fighting back from that uh, to my sophomore year, when Coach Jackie Sherrill left for Texas A&M, Coach Foge Fazio took over the job and he moved me from running back to free safety. So learning a different position, which I still lettered at. Um, it was fun and it was exciting, but for something, for me, something was missing. So after that season, that spring game, I decided to just go out for track. My very first meet after uh, going back, I ended up breaking the school record. Wow. After breaking the school record, I actually finished up uh, second at our conference meet. And then two weeks later, I won the NCAA championship over Willie Garden Ranger Town from Tennessee, still in the national championship from them at that time helping SMU to win. So for me, there was some glorious track days, a lot of exciting memories. Every time I think about it now and think about those good old days, I still get excited thinking about it. But uh, football was still my love. That is incredible. And what, what are the events in track and field that you had done in your past, especially at the college level? On the college level, I participated in the high jump. Uh, I did once or twice throw the discus, uh, which coming out of um, high school, I was the state champion in the discus, the high jump and the hurdles. Wow. So uh, in college, I also high jump. I had for about, I guess, close to 30 years, the high indoor high jump record at seven one and three quarters at the University of Pittsburgh before it was broken. So, um, you know, I, I still have some of the hurdle records there. Uh, that's been set ever since 1980, what, two or three. So, you know, you sit back and you think about that and it's like, wow, man, those records are still there. Now, granted, some of them are still there because they really don't contest the event anymore. Mm. But uh, still, just to know that your name is still up on the record board is one of those things that, uh, you know, you can pat yourself on the back about and be excited knowing that you did that 30 plus years ago. That's crazy. So you were able to jump over what would have been a seven foot tall man. I'm trying to just put Absolutely. it into perspective in your brain. Absolutely. If you walk into um, the majority of the buildings, the buildings are like six, eight. We're jumping well over the buildings going backward. I mean, the door frame walking into the building. So uh, that's the exciting thing about it, knowing that you can get up that high. That's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so then after college, I mean, you'd think Everything you just said, that would be enough to have just had an incredible career, an illustrious career. You were just getting started. At NCAA, pfft, like, those, those, those were nothing compared to what you ended up doing. So tell us a little bit about your, your track career after college. Well, actually, before I actually graduated, I actually won the world, I'm not the world record, but the, um, the Pan American, Pan, 
Pan American Games? Yes. Yeah, there you go. Jeez, uh, I'm getting tongue twisted here. You know, <laughs> the Pan Am Games, we call yeah. it. So I won the Pan Am Games in 1983 um, to finish up right after winning the NCAAs and finish up eighth in the world that year. So I asked Coach Foch Fazio, who was the head coach at Pitt at the time for football, if I can take a red shirt. So I took the red shirt uh, for the next year, which would have been my junior year, to train for the Olympic Games. Fortunately for me, I made the Olympic team and went further to win the Olympic championship that summer. So that was a big year for me as a junior at the University of Pittsburgh. And it was a decision-making time. Okay, do I pursue this as a career professionally or do I just give this up and go back to football? And at the time, I had made such a name for myself that I deliberated, deliberated over it for a couple of months and then finally decided to just pursue track and field as a career. And from that point on, I, I didn't look back. I went on to finish up number one in the world that year. Uh, I ran at that time the, um, the third fastest time ever. Putting myself in that position, man, that was just the beginning of um, you know, my career in track and field outside of college. And I got injured after the 85 season, which I still finished up number one in the world. But I got injured after that, and I was down for two years. Uh, 86 was a bad year, and 87 was, was the absolute lowest year that I had. I took that energy, and I started to uh, put myself together, but it wasn't until I went home that summer in 87, after getting sent home for a competition for getting hurt, I had a conversation with my grandfather, and having a conversation with him while everybody was home, all my siblings, my aunts and uncles, he said, son, if a man could make a living doing something that they really enjoy doing. Don't you think that they would put all of their time and energy into being the best they can at that? Mm -hmm. You know what, if you listen to that, it, it's just so simple and anybody could think of that. But no matter who told me, where it come from and whatever, it didn't stick like mm -hmm. it did when my grandfather told it, said it to me that day. Mm -hmm. When he said that, then all of a sudden I sat back and I stopped making excuses. I stopped making excuses for being hurt. I stopped making excuses for not getting the recognition. I stopped making excuses for everything and went to move forward because at that same time it was when we found out that he was terminally ill with cancer. Mm -hmm. And um, I started training. I put in more energy in training night and day, couldn't sleep. So there's times when I was out training two, three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> uh, running behind the lights of the car like Rocky. Uh, it, it, you know, you look back on it now and you think, wow, did I really do that? But while you were doing it, you didn't think twice about it. You were just determined. I made no excuses for anything. I just took it one step at a time and I wanted to know that I had out-trained all of my opponents and they were not doing what I was doing. And I wanted to know that now if I, got into the competition again, went to the Olympic trials in 88, and I did not make it, it wasn't because I didn't work. It just wasn't meant for me. So I was very blessed to win my second gold medal and to follow it up in 1989 with breaking the world record. After breaking the world record, it was like, what else is left for you? There was nothing else left for you other than to try to repeat that cycle again. Wow. Yeah, I mean, what it turned out, you had a Super Bowl ring waiting for you. But, man, I can't imagine... <laughs> <laughs> Two-time Olympic gold medalist. I mean, you're the first, I think you were the first guy to run the 110-meter hurdles under 13 seconds. Is that correct? I was a second. Second. Was a, Renato Neymar was the first person to actually uh, achieve that feat. And I was very, very blessed to be the second. But I was the very first to do it at the Olympic Games. So okay, anytime Olympic the games. Olympic Games come around, the first person to break the sub-13 second barrier, my name would pop up. So it was an Olympic record at the time. I did that in 1988 by running 
1298. I was very, very excited about that. You can see me in the videos jumping up and down <laughs> because of the time that I ran, you know? Yes, I was excited that I won my second gold medal, but you know, you could win your medal, but unless you actually run the time, people can say, ah, oh, you know, he just had a good race that day. But when you actually break the sub 13 second barrier, then people are like, wow, yeah. because it was something unheard of back in those days. Now, all the kids are running yeah. sub 13. <laughs> We're talking to speed and conditioning coach Roger Kingdom. Um, so then for you looking at this, how did you go from being an Olympic gold medalist in the hurdles to being a coach in the NFL? Uh, that's a great story. Um, I think a lot of the times, as we all know in this profession, it's the relationships that you build. And for me, as soon as I retired from track and field, I decided to go back to the university to um, finish up my last semester of college. And after going back at the time, they had this program within the NCAA that you could work within the athletic department to do something to show uh, that you're working toward your degree. So at the time, what I was doing was interning with my former uh, speed and conditioning coach, uh, Buddy Morris. He was the head strength coach at the University of Pittsburgh at the time. But he's always asked me through the years while I was training to help his guys. So this time now I was officially working with him as an intern. So I was working with his guys. And it just so happened during that particular year, and I think it was um, 91 to 92 year that I was back in school, um, he ended up getting the job with the Cleveland Browns as the head strength and conditioning coach. So he asked me if I would come up and intern with him if he could get a position. So he couldn't get a full-time intern position, but he did get the minority internship for me. I went up there and I worked with him for six weeks in a, under that program and then volunteered for the rest of the year. So it was a great year experience for me working in the NFL. Um, the blessing was you had guys like Coach Bruce Aaron, who was the offensive coordinator, was there. Todd Bowles, who was defensive quality assurance, was there. And you had Todd McNair, who was also there, working under that same staff. Wow. So a lot of the guys that's on the staff right now were there. I was able to actually show them what I was capable of doing and leave my mark so that when Coach Arias got the head coaching job, the first thing that he did was uh, he asked Coach Morris is to hire Roger Kingdom because he wanted a one-stop shop. He wanted to do something no other coach was doing. He wanted to focus on strength speed and sports science and before he left uh, Arizona he had put that full program together which he brought here now to Tampa Bay. Wow I love that we're going to hear more about what your role is here and how you work with the players after this quick break on Buccaneers Total Access brought to you by Advent Health this is the Buccaneers Radio Network. You're listening to Buccaneers Total Access. Hot ball! Touchdown Tampa Bay Antonio Brown! Brought to you by Advent Health. What an answer by Brady in the box! With head coach Bruce Arians and Bucks insider Casey Phillips. We are back on Buccaneers Total Access brought to you by Advent Health and I am joined by speed and conditioning coach Roger Kingdom. So we heard a little bit about your past before this and your incredible resumes and now I want to hear about how you work with our guys in your role overall. What are the biggest things that you feel like is your day-to-day -day responsibility? And, and I think maybe a lot of people would say you can't coach speed. That, <laughs> that is that something you just have or you don't have? So tell everybody what you feel like your day-to-day -day role is here and what you try to accomplish with these guys. Well, the very first thing we have to do is dispel that myth that you can't coach speed. You can always coach speed. Within their genetic makeup is going to determine how much better they get. But I can take the average lay person and teach them how to be better. That person might even be running 7'2", 
in the 40. You can always teach them to get better. So that dispel that myth and throw it out the window there. They might not run a 4-2 or a 5, but still they will get better. Mm -hmm. So if you take a talented athlete who's running 4-4 or 4-5, then you could work on that athlete getting down to a 4-3 or better. And that's my role here. My role here is to, first of all, okay, improve their mechanics. And once we improve in their mechanics so they're more efficient, player, then they're going to start to get better. Second of all, you create workouts that's going to help them now build a tolerance for their lactic acids so that whenever we start doing speed workouts, they can handle that. And when you put all of those things together, you got a more efficient, more powerful, a more well-trained athlete that could last the whole season without injuries. And that's the purpose of my job is to just make sure that we design those programs so that those athletes stay out there on the field and not the old an old coach once said that you can't make the club from the tub. So we gotta get those guys out of the tub and back on the field. That's pretty funny. And I yeah, I was gonna ask, do you view your role more as injury prevention, injury rehab, or just improved performance? Which of those, like maybe, or even what percent of your role is each of those things, would you say? I do a combination of all of it. During the off season, the role is just uh, mechanics, conditioning, power and explosiveness, along with the strength and conditioning coach. All right, during the season, once an injury, uh, athlete, a player get injured, my role is just make sure now when they return to the field of play is to make sure that they warm up properly. After warming up properly, that's the perfect time for us to start now working on their mechanics again to help prevent those injuries. And the majority of them are soft tissue injuries or maybe knee and joint injuries that we have to now teach them how to be more efficient when, with their movements. And once they learn how to be more efficient with their movements, then along with the trainers and the sports science guys, we develop now a conditioning program that's going to keep them within that box so that they don't overdo the thing and get hurt so that once they get back on the field, they stay on the field. So during the season, that's pretty much my role there. It's going to be uh, probably just help reassure the maintenance. I'm sure it's different uh, working with, say, an O-lineman versus a defensive back. How do you feel like your job varies, or does it? Maybe is it the same for all the different positions? Just how you look at different guys on the team, either by position, body type, experience, when it comes to this kind of thing. How do you feel like that alters or, or changes how you approach your job? The best thing about that question is how I approach it is from a defensive lineman to a skill player or to a big skill player is, first of all, your center of gravity has to be under you, all right? If you are a lineman, I still have to teach you the proper mechanics to run in because now that make you healthier and it also helps you to utilize the strength and explosiveness that you have when powering off the line. Mm -hmm. I don't have to get out there and do all the necessary conditioning work with you, a big lineman, or sometimes certain big skill players that I would with the skill athlete because the skill athlete have to do more running within the field of play. So when you take a, a big skill, okay, or either some bigs, you know, you know who's more athletic than the other one. You could tell that right off the bat once they start running. Those athletes, now you have to run just a little bit more than a normal lineman. You have guys that are about 340 pounds or 325 pounds and so forth. Once you teach somebody like that how to run properly, hit a sled properly and everything else, they're going to power through the best of them, okay? And that's the purpose. But then they don't have to run 60 to 70 yards downfield. So my thing is to make sure that we create a program that's going to help them within the uh, elective uh, training energy system 
that's going to help them get better, going to help them produce, and help them be more efficient. Whereas now, if I got that athletic, big skilled player, all right, we're going to increase their distance down to probably about 60 to 80 yards down the field because now they're going to go a little bit further. Tight ends like uh, Cam Brake, Rob Gronkowski, those guys can run down the field, and definitely O.J. Howard. These guys can run. So being that athletic and they can run, we need to do more for them, okay, as far as conditioning them as well as teaching their speed. And if you look at uh, Rob Gronkowski, he and O.J., I work uh, consistently with them most of the offseason. We're giving them programs doing the, doing the um, time off, downtime, drills, and everything else. And you can see the improvement. O.J. is now running a little bit more powerful, and Rob, you can see how now he's running away from people. Look at all the yardage that he's received this yeah. year, and to get the feedback from him, talking about how now they feel so much better. It's yeah. like they don't feel as tired or as beat down. That's because you're learning how to be more efficient out there on the field. Yeah. And now moving to the skill guys. Well, you know, I approach training the skill guys like I approach training track and field athletes because they have to be, first of all, explosive. They have to do a lot of running. They have to actually be in attack mode, and then they have to be in defensive mode where they have to run away from people. So in knowing that, I have to push them up to 100, and sometimes I tell them, listen, you're going to get your mind in the fact that i got to run at least 150 yards or 200 yards. You can't think that, well, I only run 60 yards. No, if you think that you only run 60 yards, then by game eight, or nine, you're going to be screaming, I'm tired, yeah, I'm tired, my right. legs are shot, because you didn't do enough training to sustain. Right. You're naturally talented, so yeah, you're going to get by the first half of the season, but the second half of the season, if you don't put in the proper training and so forth, you're really going to feel it. So what I try to do is encourage them is to follow the program that we set forth for them to make sure that now they know toward the latter part of the season that they can maintain the speed, the explosion, and the health. Mm. Okay, by doing the right things that we told them to do during the offseason. Right, we're talking to speed and conditioning coach Roger Kingdom. And what are some of the tangible aspects of this? Or what are either technologies you use, drills you use, techniques you use to try to make a tangible difference and that you've seen work well for you? Practical training. Practical training by uh, having done it for so many years, uh, having coached the athletes for so many years. Uh, right now, I really don't need. Um, and I, I use this term loosely, uh, the gadgets to tell me when an athlete now is breaking down or when an athlete needs to do something differently. I think that in having all of the, um, the equipment that we have now, uh, the new technology and everything, I think it makes it great because now you can confirm everything that you know. So it's nothing like the naked eye. Mm. I guarantee you when Coach Aarons is out there on the field with his coaching staff, he can see exactly when a player is making the right move or when now they're doing what they need to do and what do they do later on. They go back and look at the film and everything else and they say, yeah, he did that right. So I see the same thing with, um, with training the athletes, you know, whether it's on the field or whether it's in the weight room, having that practical experience of being around, knowing exactly what the athlete is feeling, seeing the look on their face and the body language to know when, you know what, they need to do a little bit more or something's just not right or we need to back them down. You, you can't get that from a machine. So the most important thing is just learning that practical experience and combining that with the new technology now to confirm everything that you're doing, make a much more better sound player on the field. Now I'm sure this would be the question that the fans would most want me to ask you. As the speed coach, who is the fastest guy on the team? <laughs> That's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, we have a couple of guys out there that, that really can get at it, but 
I would say from a speed perspective, we have two cornerbacks that are going after it. You know, and another one I'm going to give an honorable mention. He was the fastest, but all of a sudden, you know, the two others are coming around. And I know everybody want to know the names. But oh, come behind on. You, door you, number one. Yeah, okay, you got to give us the names behind now. door number one, I would say that the third fastest would be Carlton Davis. Really? Okay? Yeah, wow. he's the third fastest. Okay? Interesting. And I'm going to give a toss-up between Jamel Dean and Rashad wow. Robinson. Okay, I've trained with Richard uh, through his rehab, and I've also trained with um, Jamel Dean through their rehab. And I think both of those guys, beyond 20 yards, have the top end speed, mm. okay, is to really get at it. They're running right now averaging almost every time that they run downfield, 22 whatever miles per hour. Now, uh, Carlton Davis is maxed out at 22. Wow. All right, but he don't run that consistently. Yeah, they're averaging. But these guys geez. are averaging 22. So if you line the they're three of those guys up. They're speeding through school up, zone. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. It'd be great to line those guys up just to see, okay, yeah, who can go. do it. Now, we might have a couple of other guys on the team that, that's quick and explosive within 10, 10 yards and so forth. Okay, that's good when you're running back like Rojo hitting the hole, trying mm -hmm. to get down the field and so forth. But the minute you get past 10 to 15 yards, then, ah, where's that top end yeah. speed? But those three, four mentioned guys, you know, phew, once you get past 10 meters, man, they really, really start pouring it on and accelerate. I, of course, imagine everyone right now is going, wait a minute, Scotty Miller and Cyril Grayson were not mentioned in this. Well, here's the thing. You know, I, I work with Scotty, and Scotty is very explosive. Okay, but when you look at his, his miles per hour and look at his top end speed, I haven't seen his top end speed yet. And a lot of the times it's because he haven't actually been out there so that we can gauge that. Right, so it's just maybe last year, opportunity. Last year, most definitely. Last yeah. year, he had a lot of breakaways and so forth, and we were able to gauge his top end speed, and we knew exactly where he was. Got it. But we didn't see a lot of that this year. And Cyril, yes, he's a track man. Yeah. He's a track man. I love working with him. And he's one of the guys that I train closely in the weight room during the season, too. Okay? But even out of Cyril right now, being as fast as he can be, mm -hmm. I still don't see that explosiveness that I saw within Jamel Dean and also Richard Robinson. Listen, I'm telling you, looking at all of these guys wow. together every day, this is what I see. Now, you know what all of that means to me? What? Okay. Look how fast we can be mm -hmm. as a team. Yeah. That's what it looks like for me. That when we're Just basically giving, arguing about how many guys are the fastest on the team and how many guys can hit that kind of top speed. Oh, I hear that all the time. Yeah. I, I hear it all the time. <laughs> These guys arguing about, oh, no, I'll get him. No, he didn't, that, whatever, whatever. And I, and I sit back and I laugh yeah. because they come to me and ask me because they I know figured. I work with everybody. But every now and then I, I slowly stirred the pot. And the last time we had this <laughs> conversation, you know, I did. I stirred the pot between Jamel and um, Rashad. Mm -hmm. And they start going at it together. Whereas last year, it was Scotty. Scotty mm -hmm. was the man, the way he got downfield and everything else to the point where he actually went after um, Tyreek. He went after Tyreek. They were supposed to run a 40 together. Yes. So it was exciting to see that in the know. And I would have said that, ah, Scotty, you might get him off the <laughs> hole, but he has that top end. Okay. Yeah. So, but anyway, it, it, it's great. It's great to be able to laugh and to joke about that. And it's great to actually get these guys all pumped up and energized thinking about that because now when you get them pumped up and energized thinking about that, then what are they going to do? 
train harder. They're going to train harder, harder to get oh, yeah. better. All you got to do is and pit them against each like, other. that's what I because it makes my job easier. Yeah, look at you knowing how to stir the pot. We have <laughs> one more quick segment coming up here on Buccaneers Total Access, brought to you by Advent Health. This is the Buccaneers Radio Network. Buccaneers Total Access with head coach Bruce Arians now continues. Brought to you by Advent Health. It's time for our final segment here on Buccaneers Total Access brought to you by Advent Health. We are talking to speed and conditioning coach Roger Kingdom. And uh, I know we talked about Cyril's your track guy, and we actually had him on our other show yesterday. And he was talking about if they could build a 4 by one team out of the guys on this team, who would it be and who would run what leg of it? So what's your vote? Here's the thing. If we could build a four-by-one relay team, okay, I'll put Scotty Miller on lead out. Okay. He's quick, explosive, he can get out, okay? Okay. I'll put Jamel Dean on the second leg mm. because he is fast and he is long. Yeah. Once you get him rolling. Yeah, I get that straight the away. The back stretch and the home stretch are your two most important places. Mm -hmm. And because of the height advantage, Scotty is a little bit shorter so he can run the curve better and so is Cyril. Okay, Cyril could run the third leg. Once Jamel get it going, give it to Cyril to hold that lead, or increase that lead, and give it to uh, Richard to bring it home. I guarantee you that four by one team will probably run uh, 40 point or 41. Those Jeez. guys can run. And if you start looking at times, you'll see that that would keep them competitive in the NCAA. That's pretty great. That's pretty I would enjoy good. watching yes. that. I wish that was something we could put together. This is so funny. How often over the course of your coaching career have guys tried to challenge you to a race when they hear about your background? You know what? When I first hit the scene and, um, and Cleveland Browns, I got challenged all the time. Okay. <laughs> I got challenged to the point where, you know what, I literally had to take him out. But what they failed to realize, a lot of them didn't know my background. Some of them did. Yeah. A lot of them didn't know my background. And... I had just retired. Yeah, you were Probably fresh like two off. Or three years at that time, so I was still training. Yeah. You know, so I had to take them out. <laughs> now, when I got to Arizona years later, I'm now late 40s, okay? I didn't sprint, even though they were talking a lot of stuff. I didn't sprint, but I did the workouts with them, mm. okay? After leaving Arizona, coming here, unfortunately, I, I didn't do any of the workouts with them. I had gone through three back surgeries, a lot of things had happened. However, I kept telling the guys, you know what, I'm going to run off-season work with you. I'm going to run the temple with you. I'm going to do some of this stuff with you because it'll help me get back into shape. So I'm still trying to think about that, still trying to slowly move toward that because it'll help me actually do the things that I need to do to rehab. So uh, I'm looking forward to that, not necessarily to get out there and outdo them, but to show them that, yes, I can do it. Yeah. So you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Well, Roger, thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome and learned so much, and it was so interesting. So thank you very much. Oh, it's been very exciting to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome, and thanks to all of you guys for listening. This has been Buccaneers Total Access brought to you by Advent Health. This is the Buccaneers Radio Network.